Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Joe Millmile and this is episode 84, Yarns from the Plain, an interview with Nick Rudd. Hello and welcome to the show. A warm welcome to returning listeners and if you are new with us today, welcome, come in, bring your knitting, you're going to need it. And we're back in for another episode of the podcast. I hope you're well since last time I spoke to you. I am, thank you. I've been doing a little bit of knitting, as you've probably seen on Instagram, working on my voodoo shawl in all places possible, uh, hoping to get that finished by Edinburgh Yarn Festival, putting it out there now and uh, see if that indeed does happen. The prep for the Rewind and It's Long is ongoing and uh, we're just waiting for the yarn. The yarn's stuck in customs at the moment. I'm really hoping that it gets released soon and wings its way to me so I can get all the Shiny Bees podcast yarn out to those people who have ordered it and obviously so I get my lovely shiny yarn. It's in London. I'm sure it'd be fine if it was in customs in Manchester. It'd be here last week. Um... But yeah, still waiting for that to be released, which is a little bit disappointing, but makes the arrival of it, I guess, all that more exciting. Preparations for Edinburgh Yarn Festival continue. I can't believe it's like next week, pretty much. (laughs) It's a bit crazy. I am doing a session in the podcast lounge and the full timetable for that, I think, is being released this week. But my session is going to be on writing a content calendar for your blog or podcast. It's going to be at two o'clock on Friday. And if you can't make it, I will be doing a replay of this session uh, on the internet via Zoom. It's all free, free webinar basically for you and um, to help you with that if you can't attend Edinburgh Yarn Festival. Because I know it's annoying when you can't go somewhere and you miss out and it is getting blatted everywhere at the moment and it must be quite aggravating if you're not going so I don't want you to miss out I know I have listeners all over the world and I like to include you all in my dastardly deeds and clever plans so what else have I got for you today well first up I have uh, news of our next virtual knit night for the patrons which is going to be taking place next week on Monday basically Monday evening at 2000 GMT we have our monthly knit night for the patrons of the podcast if you're not aware of what that is I have a patreon for the podcast to support the running costs of uh, hosting the podcast on a weekly basis posting books and yarn and prizes out and uh, paying for the hosting and all that kind of um, stuff really that keeps the podcast going and keeps it fun for you as well because it's incredibly time consuming to to host a podcast and although it's fun um it is quite costly as well once you add up all all of the extra things that you do to make it as fun as possible for your listeners so um you can find that at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash shiny bees and um if you get in at the five dollars per month level you'll be invited to our virtual knit night which is a lot of fun and if you miss it, there's a replay for that as well. So I know a couple of people didn't manage to make it last time, but they took part in the replay instead and downloaded the full video replay. It was all having a great time and discussing many, many comedy things. It always gets a little bit out of hand. After about half an hour, it gets re- <laughs> everyone just gets a bit giddy and it all gets really, really funny. So if you want to take part of that, it is for patrons um, only. It's my way of saying thank you to them for their support. And without their support, the podcast could not run on a weekly schedule anymore. So um, without them, you wouldn't be getting this every week. So if you want to take part in that, it's patreon.com forward slash shiny beats. And I have an interview for you. Coming up next, I have the lovely Nick Rudd of Yarns from the Plain. You will recognise her voice as she is also a podcaster. Her podcast has been on a bit of a hiatus as she's been thoroughly engaged in studying a new passion of her. Well, not new, but studying um, weaving and a course in weaving at Bradford College. And she's branched out into dyeing her own yarns as more of a going venture. It's really interesting to hear her journey from teaching into doing that and she has lots of lovely British breed um, bases amongst her range 
um, some of which are exclusive to her as well, which is nice. You know, if you like your British yarns, um, then she definitely has something for you. I have quite a few of her yarns. I've got some lovely um, Chelford four-ply, I think, that was knitted into a hitchhiker for me that I wear all the time. It's really nice. And some Mobbly Aran and a few others. You can find everything to do with uh, her yarns and Nick herself at yarnsfromtheplane.co.uk and she will be coming back to podcasting exclusive. She is going to be podcasting again very soon for those of you that are fans of hers uh, from her podcast. And she's got a back episode about Castle Fubber of about 90 or 100 herself as well. So you can go and check those out over on iTunes. I'll put all the links in the show notes for you as usual because we like all our enabling to be in one easy place for quick access. And I'm delighted to welcome Nick onto the show now for you. Get comfy. It's a long one. Two podcasters doing an interview is never going to be a speedy affair, but I hope you'll enjoy listening to her stories and our chatter. I'm delighted to welcome Nick onto the show today. How are you, Nick? I'm fine, thank you. And you? I am brilliant, thanks. So thank you for agreeing to come on the show to be interviewed. So can you start us off by telling us a little bit about you as a person and how you came to be interested in Yarny Pursuits? Okay, I hope everyone's settled in because it's a bit of a long story. No, it's not really, but um, I am... The kind of person that drives their mother mad because they seem to change their career path <laughs> several times. Um, my first degree was in chemistry and I went and worked in the nuclear industry after that. Then I went and retrained as a primary teacher and did 20 years um, teaching primary. And I've recently made the change and, and left primary teaching and gone off in another direction. Not because I get bored. I do enjoy doing lots of different things, but I get, um, I really get focused on things. And I really, really like to get my, my teeth into them. Um, so some might call me obsessed. I, I just like to think it's, um, keen. I'm enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm an enthusiastic crafter. I've always made things, um, from a very young age. I can't really remember not making things, um, doing cross stitch in, um, tapestry, making soft toys, all sorts of things. And I can't actually remember um, being taught to knit. I just remember knitting a scarf for my teddy. It was like a, a very long Doctor Who scarf um, for my teddy. Obviously proportioned for the teddy. I didn't make him a 12-foot scarf. He wasn't that big a teddy. Um, and I've sort of knitted off and on, um, but really came to it about 10 years ago now um through a math conference believe it or not I went to a primary teaching math conference and um it was run by Woolly Thoughts that well not the conference but the the workshop I went to um Pat Steve at Woolly Thoughts and it was all about using knitting in maths to explore pattern and it really caught my imagination and I went off and bought a whole load of um lovely not quite squeaky acrylic but some acrylic that that I bought to knit lots of squares to make afghans and cushions and um, explore sort of patterns in those with children which never happened but I had a lovely time making the squares um, and then a colleague had a baby I started knitting a, a blanket for her, her and I haven't really stopped since and that was about 10 years ago um, and I can't imagine my life without having some sort of wool in it so my husband feels the obsession is probably going to be extending to a sheep at some point, but he's a bit worried about the size of the back garden. Yeah, definitely. Because you don't you don't just knit, do you? You crochet, you spin, you weave. Own up, come on. Uh, yes, I do. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I that you could do with wool that I don't do. Um, and it's probably easier to say that I don't do it latch hook work. I've I've got no real interest in sort of um rag uh you know rug making with the, with the latch hooks and um I don't use wool in tapestry <laughs> but I do do everything else it started with the knitting um as a child and then I also learned how to crochet as a child um and crocheted more in my teens than I knitted um 
and then the weaving I probably started about with a rigid head or loom maybe um, five years ago um, and now have um, in the last just over oh, 15 months I've sort of moved over to using a multi-shaft loom so I can do all sorts of sort of quite intricate patterns I'm still learning um, but I do that that's taken me a little bit away from wool actually I'm sort of exploring other yarns which kind of feels a bit strange when I'm so passionate about wool but there are some things that it's just not suitable to use wool for you you're better using other um, types of, of yarn so it's interesting to sort of do that but yeah I do that um, I spin um, I have done some felting but not much uh, and I dye yarn fiber uh, if the cat stood still long enough I'd probably dye her as well but I can just imagine her face it, well she's beautiful she's white she's just she's just the right color for dying but she'd be raging yeah she would she would she's not the kind of cat that you could put in a, in a costume so she certainly wouldn't stay still long enough for me to cover her in in yarn and then pop her in the microwave that's not going to work is it no no but she could probably be like a speckled speckled dyed cat perhaps do you think yeah yeah i reckon yeah. you could just like throw it at her while she runs away and she'd, yeah. she'd become one of those lovely little speckledy trendy yarns that we have a lot of at the moment yeah she that could she could could spin the cat fur as well no <laughs> I love it gets weird in the first sentence, literally the first, the first question, and we're already off on one. It's brilliant. <laughs> yep, yep. No, um, I do inadvertently spin cat hair, um, but it's never intentional, um, and I have no desire. I really have no desire to spin any kind of pet fur. It's just never something that's appealed to me at all. No. Not... Well, I went to Crofts. Before I was woolly, I was doggy, and I went to Crofts, and there was a knitted beret at Crofts, and that had been made from hand-spun shelty hair. Lovely. Because mm -hmm. it yeah, is quite no, fluffy, and it doesn't really smell like dog like other dogs do, but, yeah, nice crimp. Mm, yes, no, there are some ladies in um, my spinning guild who have um, done it with, um, I can't remember the name of the dog, it's some kind of... Um, Finnish dog I think a big white sam samoyed oh samoyeds yeah yeah um and it it looks lovely it's got a kind of a, a halo a bit like alpaca but I, I really have no desire at all to no no it's not it doesn't quite send something skittering up my spine but it, it's just not for me it's it's just not for me and I don't know why because I live in a house that's permanently covered in, in pet hair and I have for most of my life. Um, you know, I had a dog as a child, so I don't know why I've just got this aversion to actually intentionally spinning the fur, but I have. <laughs> I don't know, maybe because like, the next step is eating them, you know. <laughs> Do you know, that could well be it, actually, because, it, and it's funny, isn't it? Because I actually have no compunction. I don't have a problem with eating a rabbit. And I don't have a problem with spinning rabbit hair. But I wouldn't dream of eating a cat or dog and I wouldn't dream of spinning their fur intentionally either. Now we really have strayed into weird territory, haven't we? I love it. I love it. It's one of those pub conversations, isn't it? Definitely one of those <laughs> pub is. conversations. It is. But anyway, taking it from eating your own pets to the next <laughs> question, which is what is the tipping point? And again, Aquilite, that turned you to eating your own pets. Um, but I'm not going to ask that. I'm going to ask you that turned your hobby, and it's obviously quite a prolific hobby for you and very much a passion, into a business. Right. Well, it sort of... It's, I was going to say it was a joke, but it wasn't really... Um, just before I turned 40, I sort of probably had my nearest thing to a midlife crisis um, and had a sort of an awful lot of soul searching and, and am I doing the right thing and oh, what should I be doing? And uh, My husband did say at that point, you know, if you want to do it, if you want to dye yarn, just, you know, as long as it covers its costs, not a problem. And I looked at him and went, don't be stupid. That's a really silly thing to do. Um, but the seed had been planted Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of in the back of your head. Yeah. And I wasn't even dyeing anything at that point. I just played around with a bit of Kool-Aid. But the seed had been planted. And within a very short space of time, I already had in my head what 
the business was going to be called. Um, and, and it was about the time that I started my own podcast, which is currently on a bit of a break, but is soon to be very, very soon to be relaunched. Um, and it sort of, it was all sort of tied in with that, but I, I kept thinking, I can't really do this. I can't really do this. It's not what people do, you know, give up a essentially well-paid senior management role <laughs> to go and play with dye pots. Don't do it. <laughs> um, but then, you know, it just wouldn't, the idea wouldn't go away. And so I, I sort of thought, well, never mind, it's fine. And I bought some dye to dye things for myself. And I was trying to dye um, fibre a particular shade. I can't actually remember even what shade I was trying to capture. But after 17 attempts that weren't quite right, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's fine, I've got there. But I'd really enjoyed the process. I then had an awful lot of fibre that I thought, well, I don't actually want to spin this because it's not quite the colour that I want. What am I going to do with it? So I took it to Guild. Um, we had a, a day where, you know, it was, right, if you want to bring uh, anything to sell, that's absolutely fine. Sell it and give 10% to the Guild funds. And it was like a plague of locusts. Because I, by then I'd not just got the 17 reject skeins that hadn't been quite working out for me. I'd played around with some yarn and tried some different techniques and took them along to the guild and it was literally I put them out on the table and I tried to take a photograph in the first five minutes of putting them on the table and all you can see were the guild members you couldn't see any of the yarn you couldn't see any of the fiber and that's when I began to think that maybe maybe it wasn't such a crazy idea that there might be people who would want to buy what I was dying so I started off and it was ticking off, you know, sort of a, with a, an Etsy shop and I would die in the holidays and, you know, at the weekends and, you know, have big batch of, uh, of dying and, and sort of keep it ticking over. But what really pushed me in the end um, was stumbling across um, a college course, uh, an HNC in contemporary constructed textiles. Ooh, get me. That's just posh for making fabric in other words <laughs> weaving or knitting um and it was at Bradford um the Bradford School of of Art which is um anyone who has woven for a long time um is likely to be aware of what's called the Bradford course um and it used to be a very very prescriptive um skills based course that taught you how to weave taught um, using a multi-shaft loom so you could do twills you could do herringbone you could do double cloth all sorts of things and your selvages were superb absolutely superb but it was very very prescriptive um, in recent years it's changed so there's now a really big focus on design and actually thinking about designing specific fabrics for specific purposes so are you designing for interiors are you designing for fashion um, you know what yarns therefore are you going to use so some of the weaving that I've done on rigid heddles tend to be "Ooh, these are really pretty colors and quite interesting funky textures I'm just going to weave them all in the rigid heddle and it makes something a bit wild and it's great as a scarf whereas this course had much more um, focused you know looking at purpose for design so of course I went in with my woolly head on but it, it, it's taken it another way it is a part-time course but there was no way I could do it and continue to teach full time. Hmm. So it became the catalyst. If I thought, well, OK, it is only a part time course and I'm going to try and get some income in. So maybe this is the time now to actually take the plunge, leave teaching, go back to college to do the textiles, but also then set the business up as well properly and, and take it that way. So it's not necessarily the route that perhaps others have gone through to actually set up their own business and return to college part-time at the same time mm. but I'm nothing if not ambitious bonkers uh over committed you know any <laughs> one of those words that you'd like to to select will will do um but that was really it it was when it was when the the details for the college course came into my email and I thought I would love to do that would absolutely love to do that and then I thought okay can't do that and teach even if the governors would give me the time off you know because once a term I have to go to Bradford so even if they would give me the odd days unpaid I can't actually do that and continue to teach full-time because anyone who knows anyone who teaches full-time 
um, particularly in primary, I can't speak for secondary, you don't tend to have weekends or at least you have a day at the weekend. One of the days in your weekend is always spent catching up with your marking or prepping for the next week. And I just realised then that there was no way I could do the college course and do the teaching. And I was I'm very lucky in a position that my husband does actually have a job and we're muddling through. Um, although I still do a, a bit of supply um, in my old school, so I still pop in now and again and uh, have little joys and remember the nice bits about teaching without actually having to do all the senior management and everything else. <laughs> So that's that was kind of it, really. Oh, brilliant. It's nice to hear like different stories of how people have come to it and that everyone has a different journey into things. It's um, I think it's always good to hear. Yes. It, it, and it, it's the fact that, it, you know, uh, to make it work for me at the moment, I it, it's sort of. It's one part of a, a sort of a three pronged part of my life. Um, because I have the college work, I have the, you know, my own business, and then I do supply. So I have got an income stream that, you know, pays towards the college fees. Um, and, you know, but I've, I've also got the creativity of, of doing the, you know, and, and the challenges of setting up the business, um, which is stretching me in many different ways. Um, and I'm really enjoying it, but it is stretching me in many different ways. That's brilliant. There's um, the next question then. Could go one of three ways. It could, couldn't it? Yeah. What, <laughs> what does a typical day look like for you? Never the same. It, it's seldom the same. Um, well, yeah, unless I'm actually doing supply. Those days look pretty much the same. Um, so it, it will depend. You know, if I'm, what I try and do is block out a day a week for my college work. Um, it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes I end up with bits. Um, in you know sort of evenings and weekends um, I then slot around the the business around it so um, some days it it I might be working entirely in the kitchen um, making up dye stocks soaking the yarn or the fiber dyeing the yarn and the fiber um, getting it out rinsing it drying it so it might be a full day um, dyeing my fingernails green or blue or whatever um other days it'll be you know the accounts and the admin um the marketing so it might be very much um based on um the computer uh, and online um the hardest bit i found which getting my head around which which sounds really weird is that i've come to the to the the acceptance that now that some of my daytime activity does actually need to be spent knitting or crocheting because <laughs> I'm making samples. And I've actually found that really difficult because it feels like I'm not working. <laughs> and I'm having to really work to say, no, actually, you know, this is what I need to do. I actually and I can't move forward on a particular project until I've made a sample on it. So I've actually got to sit down and block out an afternoon for knitting or an afternoon for crochet it's so hard <laughs> does it well you know it, it doesn't you know it, it sounds like it's quite difficult but but it, it, it is that mindset of going because it was always something that I did as in the evenings as a hobby it does feel quite weird to go right no I have to make time to actually crochet this sample or knit this shawl or whatever and the only way to do that is I need to block out an afternoon to to work solidly on it for four hours and you know crack through it um, and that's been quite a tricky bit to do sounds really weird doesn't it having to force yourself to knit and crochet it does it. it does because normally it involves not knitting and crocheting anymore it's just mostly well, talking about it well this is it that yeah it, it is and that's I think that's the the weird bit that I, I have found and it's that realisation in the last sort of month or so that I have to do this. Otherwise, I'm not going to meet my timetable that I've set out for doing something unless I actually block out some time um, to create the things, which sounds really weird. <laughs> it's it, it wasn't I didn't think I would find it that difficult to do that. Uh, I think it's just a mental thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. So, taking it from your typical day then, can you tell us a little bit about your creative process when you develop a new colourway? I can. Although, typically for me, there aren't really any set patterns. Um, So, it might be that I'm inspired by um, a picture or a painting. Can't think where I got that idea from. (laughs) Um, But you know, I'll, I'll have a look at a photograph or a, a piece of artwork um, and try and match the colours. And that's been really interesting. That ties in with my college work because that's how I'm expected to um, start my fabric designs um, at college is looking at some sort of inspiration and developing artwork from it. So that's been really interesting. Um, and that's fed into that a lot. And that's, I think, something that people can understand very straightforwardly. Or, you know, you've got a, a lovely picture of Monet's water lilies. You know, what colours are you doing? Which bit are you focusing on? And then try and pull the colours out of it. But it's not the only thing that I use for inspiration. So sometimes it's music. Now, I don't actually have, um, I've, I've, I don't know if you've heard of, um, or if your listeners have heard of, um, no, I can't say, I can't always say it, kinesthesia or synesthesia. I think I've probably not pronounced that right. But it's when people get one sensory signal um but it it comes to them um in a way that other people the majority of people don't necessarily recognize so for example um i know a couple of people who when they hear a particular sound it's a color so squeaky bus wheels are red um the the scuff of a shoe is brown um and it's it's a really um interesting sort of way the brain works now I don't have that but I will sometimes be inspired by pieces of music and so when I hear particular pieces of music I'll sort of have a picture in my head that's actually a scene that will have colours with it associated with it so I'll, I'll work with that so um, some of my first colours were all done based around Smith songs for example because I happened to be listening to the Smiths one afternoon and was sort of doodling yeah don't laugh at were me. they all grey no they weren't that's the really weird thing people were just really surprised that sort of they kind of went well I thought they'd be really dark no they're not but I think it's probably because I'm more influenced by Johnny Marr's guitar than Morrissey's lyrics yes thank goodness I do like the Smiths I'm a big fan no I love I love the Smiths proper miserable yeah it's proper miserable words to very jolly tunes yes so so I I'll sort of you know, it, and it might be something like the Smiths, but it might be Elgar or it might be um, Agent Orange, which is a, a thrash metal band from the 90s in America. So it's sort of and, and there'll be something about it that will just sort of suggest some colours, some sort of image and it, or, or a mood. And I, I can't really put my finger on it, but it will be something to do with that. And then other times it's just because I want to go and play. And I'll literally get all the dye bottles out, cover the kitchen surface with the you know newspaper and the plastic, get the dye bottles out and play. What will happen if I put this together? And sometimes you make something that looks a bit like clown vomit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but a lot of times you don't um, because the more you do this, the more you instinctively get a feel for what colours go together um, and what colours don't. And, um, you know, the fact that, something that looks on you know sort of like it might work really well like a whole sort of range of greens into the yellows um would actually benefit from something from the other side of the color wheel so a bit of red just to give it a bit of zing and a bit of um an opposite um just to lift it and so I'll go off and play with things because I record absolutely everything that I do um as I you know, as I'm playing around. So I've got this very, very grotty dye book. You know, told you this is the industrial chemist side of me. Um, I'll record everything in terms of, of where I squirted the dye, how much, what the concentration was, um, and all things like that. I generally can replicate, not to it exactly, because you can't replicate it exactly, but you certainly can get the feel for something. So the things that I really like well, then go back to and start to develop things from. So one of the things that came out last year was um, I wanted to see what happened if I started taking some quite strong colours and then over dyeing them with black. Mm-hmm. Not huge amounts of black, but just enough to sort of darken the tone and see what happened. Um, and one of the colours became became my favourite colour of last year um, and was a, 
a jade overdyed with black. And because I had been watching a whole lot of um, Outlander at the time, um, which is a, a drama series that's filmed in Scotland, but um, made by an American studio. Um, and so for some bizarre reason in Britain, it's actually only streamed on Amazon Prime. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, um, I sort of ended up watching that. And and the colour reminded me of, for some reason, it put me in, in mind of one of the characters. And what that's then done is then made me go off in another little tangent. So I'm thinking and, and developing colours that might match other characters so I'll be looking at you know their characteristics what kind of person they are whether they're a happy person or whether they're a sort of a quite you know dour person and then sort of try and match colours to them so it's I told you it's very eclectic but sometimes it is just literally because I just go in and play with the colours and make a mess because I like that no, for sure. I've mentally planned an entire range of colourways, including Cockpiss Partridge. Um, Big so, pardon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have. I've got a, an entire mentally planned range of Alan Partridge colourways. Um, although some people don't find it funny. Oh, that was Then I don't would... find The Office funny at all. I don't find David Brent funny whatsoever. And Zoolander, I've got an entire range of mentally planned Zoolander colourways. I'm just gobsmacked because I've never actually thought about that. But you see, now you just say that. And now I have I've hardly watched any Alan Partridge at all. I'm aware of it, but I haven't watched a great deal. But just just those words. I want to go off and make something that match those words. Exactly. It's no, I've never done that before. Mustardy colour. <laughs> we, Someone we already really... wants a skin of it. We we need when this interview is over, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a surprise coming up. I've got a surprise coming up when it comes to these colourways. <laughs> anyway, yeah. taking it from early two thousands, I don't know because I thought Craig David was only ten years ago and apparently it was sixteen. But taking it from early two thousands um, sitcoms to yes. our comedy programmes, indeed, to um, the journey of running a business. Yes. No journey is ever a smooth one and it has its ups and downs. Can you tell us about a time where maybe things didn't quite go to plan? What <laughs> happened and what did you learn as a result of it? Well, other than the odd clown vomit incidents. Yeah. Because you do occasionally have ones where you just go, this just doesn't work. Um, in which case, the answer to that is always over diet with something darker. Um, it, it wasn't an epic fail, but it was a massive, massive learning curve. Um when last year you asked me to do something for the golden skein mm -hmm. and you happened to mention um a particular word that set me off going oh i'll try doing this so i did some trials um of it was a brand new technique of um of the way of skeining the yarn so that it was each um skein would be reskeined into sort of little loops um and then each one would be dyed separately so i'd get the stepped gradient color mm -hmm. And um, I sat there and did all sorts of calculations um, and then uh, timed um, skeining up one, timed the dyeing of one, um, timed how much it would take to reskein it uh, and everything else. Scaled that up to the number of um, skeins I needed to provide, added on 20% of the time and still massively <laughs> underestimated how much time I needed. Yeah, massively um, because what I hadn't counted for was of course the first time that I dyed it there was only the one skein so it's very easy to re-skein it um, into one nicely neatly um, tied skein when you're doing five of them at once they begin to get a little tangled and so the only way I could actually meet the deadline was I had to call on the help of two friends and one of their uh, their daughters who, bless her little heart, had just come back off a residential, a college residential. Now, th this young lady normally goes to bed at about half seven. Um, but on the college residential, she couldn't go to bed that early because she wasn't allowed to be unsupervised. <laughs> so had been staying up till about half nine, ten half 10 was dead on her feet <laughs> and I'd said to her mum and, and to, to be her mum and to uh, Mandy I desperately need your help there's no way I'm going to be able to get this out ready for Joe um, unless 
I really have all hands to the pumps. And they said, right, that's fine. We'll come. And then B went, need to bring Rosie as well. Well, bless her heart. She sat perched on the edge of the sofa and just we would use the the swift to untangle each of the the individual skeins and ball them up and then give them to Rosie and she would then reskein them on the windmill swift. <laughs> and she sat there solidly for about 7 hours. <laughs> the day after she'd done a 4-day residential and she was barely holding her eyes up with matchsticks. Um she has a, a an issue with her spine. So, you know, we had to keep making sure that she wasn't actually sort of keeling over. <laughs> So that she was nice and calm. It sounds terrible. It sounds like it was abuse. I did provide them with a lot of flapjack and soup and, and tea and kept them going. But they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it was just I felt I had felt so smug because I'd actually built in 20 percent extra time because that would be fine. I can scale this up and 20 percent extra will give me plenty of time. No, not on your life. <laughs> So that's kind of my biggest thing is now is that any trials I do on a one skein um, thing, if I want to scale it up, I actually double the time um, that it's taken to to do one. It, it, you know, so say, I, I, I you know, it takes me um, 30 minutes to do one and I want to do, um, you know, 10. Instead of saying, right, that's just going to be 300 minutes. I'd actually say, right, it's going to be 600 minutes and and, you know, sort it out that way because I'd much rather end up that way than having to call in every favour from every friend that I that's ever been owed me to go I need you I need you to come and help me otherwise I'm not going to meet my deadline so there you go I'm glad you went to so much effort for me it's very nice Sean uh, it was it was very nice to to see how much people liked it <laughs> because at one point I could have wept I could have just <laughs> lay down in the pile of slightly sort of tangled bits and gone why did I say I would do this why did I miss not use my usual dyeing technique <laughs> um, so uh, it was I was very pleased when people liked it <laughs> oh I bet so taking it from weeping face down in a pile of yarn to yep. the high point of your journey so far <laughs> right well I get a I get a buzz every time um, people come and chat to me at shows or if I do a trunk shop, uh, trunk show in a yarn shop. Absolutely love it. I love chatting to my customers. It's so nice. And when people come and sort of stroke the yarn, pet the yarn, no one's actually drooled on it yet, which is good. Um, but, you know, when they sort of sit there and, and you know, when, you know that look people get mm-hmm. in a show, you know, the slightly glazed look, you know, I do like that. <laughs> that, that's kind of a real ego massage um you know when you see that look on somebody's face but probably and this sounds so silly but the bit that actually made me squee out loud was um when someone in my knit group who um is a crochet designer so valerie um, brace girl who um designs as the agrarian artisan uh she bought some of my um, Mobily DK and just worked up uh, a design on it and then actually wrote up the pattern for Inside Crochet and issue 69 of Inside Crochet which was August last year that scarf that she designed in my yarn was actually on the front page and I got very very excited <laughs> so when I found a copy in the supermarket I did actually jump up and down and squee slightly so but it was okay. It wasn't in a town that I lived in, so that was fine. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I remember nonchalantly telling the lady in Asda's, I bought a copy of a magazine that the podcast was mentioned in, and she's like, oh, that looks like quite good value. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in it, you know. And she looks at me, I was like, I'm not joking, I'm actually in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's quite nice when you sort of see your name in print. It's sort of, it's, ooh, ooh, it's real. It's real. I'm not yeah, just playing. Yeah. It is cool. It's very cool. It never gets old, definitely. Um, so taking it from um, you being a front cover star, basically, or your yarn being a front cover yeah, star my front on of... Inside Crochet, um, what one thing that you know now did you wish you had known when you first picked up a ball of yarn? 
that tension squares are a really good idea. <laughs> it's just no, no, that, that's just the end of. Uh, I mean, the number of things that I have originally knitted that just, you know, you knit them and then you go, well, that was absolutely lovely. Who am I going to give it to? Because I need to give it to somebody who's only got a 17 inch head. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, these socks are absolutely wonderful, but um, they're not going to fit my size seven feet. And I'm not sure I know any man who's going to want to have a pair of pink and peach ones. It's lovely because they're going to fit a size 10. They're not going to fit me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just doing a gauge swatch. And, and I resisted doing it for years. Absolutely years. And even now, even now with jumpers, I will sometimes start on the sleeves and use them as a very large swatch. Um, uh, and then the common sense kicks in and goes, just knit, just Nick, just stop it. Put everything down, go and knit a tension square and wash it and see what happens. <laughs> Why are you attempting to just knit the sleeves and then hope it will work out or fudge the numbers slightly? Don't do it. Don't do it. All that effort and then you end up with something you can't wear. It's just it's just a trauma. Don't do it. Oh, definitely. Because the gauge, that swatching is just not that glamorous. But if you reframe in your mind that it's, you're allowed to start that before you finish the last project. It's like preparation. So you get the thrill of casting on, but not committing to a, a garment. It's prep work, and it's really good prep work that we all know we're supposed to be doing. It's a lot yeah. easier to accept, you know, to, to hug the swatch, basically. It is. And the other thing I would really advise is it's actually a very good idea that once you have taken it off and washed it and done everything else with it, then actually write what needles you used on a label and pin it to the swatch because I've actually had tension squares or, or gauge swatches that I've done that for but then I've put them down and I've not actually started on the, the sweater straight away and now I look at it and go did I actually do that in the three and a half millimeter needles or did I do them in the 3.75 oh I don't know because I didn't write it down so I'm gonna have to knit a gauge swatch all over again why why? You'd think, wouldn't you, that I'd have sussed this one out by now, but no. Never mind. <sighs> so taking it, from, taking it from swatching, which is not glamorous or exciting, to Desert Islands Games. If, if you were going to be marooned on a desert island and you could only take one skein or ball of yarn, what would you take and why? Right. I thought long and hard about this because I love my mobbly yarn. It's a blend of Exmoor Blueface and British Alpaca. It's got squoosh factor. It's absolutely gorgeously scrummy. It's got a nice halo. It's absolutely wonderful. But I'm not convinced it's going to hold up very well with the sand in it. Mm -hmm. um, so after much soul searching, because I really did think that I wanted to take this yarn. It's beautiful and I love it. I'm actually going for a ball of, well, two balls, please, because they only come in 50 grams. Can I have two balls of Regia sock, please? <laughs> because it's indestructible 10 year guarantee it is um, indestructible it is i have it, i have knit socks with a number of different sock yarn um and i don't know whether it's i have funky toenails or or what but i do sometimes wear through um the front certainly of shop bought socks um mm -hmm. with particular boots um you know my kind of biker style boots I can wear through on me on my big toe um, and I have on some of my other hand knit socks I've never worn through on a regular sock ever and some of them are quite old now you know they've uh, they've been sort of hanging around I, I don't I didn't start knitting straight away with regular when I was doing socks I started with opal but um, the regular's got the edge and I would say that I've got socks that are six years old and they still they they still they have no holes and they've not really felted at the heels or anything so it's gonna have to be regular sock and because um I went to go and see them yesterday and they were absolutely wonderful can I please have it in the Arnie and Carlos one of the Arnie and Carlos colorways please because <laughs> they were just wonderful and I really like them <laughs> 
and strangely enough, the the when they designed, they were talking a bit about their design process for the colorways um, that they designed for the the three different seasons they've done for Regia, and um, a lot of their design work has come in a similar way as mine has in terms of looking at artists. They they had a whole range that were inspired by Edvard Munch uh, and his paintings, and it was really interesting um, to hear them that their design process in terms of color sort of paralleled elements of mine. So that was really interesting. Yeah, didn't you have a pair of sparkly red regia monkey socks? I love those. Yeah, when they did the they did um a Christmas set, um so that there was red, cream, gold uh, no red cream green, and I think the black all had a gold metallic in the ply. Uh, and then they did a blue one that had a silver metallic in the ply. I think I have one of every one. Those are the ones that came in 100 grams. Um, those ones, the the design line ones only come in 50 grams. Um, and they are just ace. And I made a pair of monkeys and I love monkey socks. They are my favorite pattern to knit, sock pattern to knit. I've knit them quite a lot. Uh, and I have a pair of red sparkly monkeys. Um, I just love them. They are they are my absolute favorite hand knit socks. <laughs> I remember, I remember you talking about them on the podcast and being utterly crushed and I'm still not over it that I've never managed to get any of this red regular sparkly yarn because I don't think they ever did it afterwards and people on Ravelry still want it and nobody can find it, it's like the holy grail. Yeah, I think it was, I think they did it for one Christmas, I think maybe possibly two but I've certainly not seen it for years mm-hmm. and my mother-in-law was just absolutely wonderful because I was just I went to ring a Rosie in, in Willy Bay with her um and saw it and just kind of squeed about it so much um that she bought me several balls of it for Christmas that Christmas and I was so excited so I actually went to the ice hockey on Boxing Day with my red um regular sparkly Christmas yarn and started my monkeys at the at the ice hockey it was just like yay very excited. Well, as I'm still bitter and twisted about not having this yarn, I think we'll move on to the next question. <laughs> bitter and twisted. Oh, don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, because I can get red sparkly yarn, but I can't get red sparkly indestructible German yarn. No, <laughs> this is true. So, what is your favourite or your go-to resource for yarn craft or business that you couldn't do without? Oh, this sounds so so boring. <laughs> It's Excel. This, did you hear? Did you hear that silence, listeners? Yeah. That is the tumbleweed just going across the empty space where everyone's going. Oh, but everyone says really interesting things like Ravelry or their yarn pots. No, it's Excel. I use it for absolutely everything. I don't have um, a, a, an electronic stock system. Everything I do is on Excel. Um, I don't have an accounts package. Everything I do is on Excel. I do all my costings on Excel. I do all my timings on Excel. I even use Excel in my college work for plotting out um, my threading plans and my lift plans and everything else for my weaving. Um, I just use Excel so much that it it's just quite sad, really. When my husband left one of his jobs, someone gave him a, a little mug that says, I heart spreadsheets. Um, and he just kind of came home and went, here you go, love. This one's for you. So I do like Excel a lot. <laughs> okay, I know. Not exciting, is it? But there we are. It's not, but you know, it's about your favourite resource. And if that that's your favourite... <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's a favourite as in I love it. But it would make life very, very, very difficult if I didn't have it. Not very difficult, but it would make it really time-consuming and a faff. So I would I would choose to go without other things than go without Excel. I'm going to quote you on you that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to make me a mug of it, aren't you? That would be probably, lovely. Probably, yeah. to be honest. Maybe a little cushion, a little tapestry cushion. Excellent. One day. Yeah, stitch that for me. <laughs> stitch that for me. That would be lovely. One day when I'm not being used as a trampoline by my small children. Um, <laughs> So where's the best place for listeners to find you? Other than face down in Excel, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either crying face down in a pile of yarn or face down 
with you know the, the keys of the keyboard pressing into my cheek mm-hmm. um <laughs> right my um i'm on uh twitter and facebook as yarns from the plane but i've actually got um the website that's got the blog posts and does host all the back episodes of um, the Yarns from the Plane podcast um, and will be hosting the new one um, when it comes out um, in the, at the beginning of first week of March. <laughs> yay! Uh, yay! That's the see, I've said it now. I've said it now, so I have to produce something, even if it's only five minutes long. Mm-hmm. I have to. Um, so that's www.yarnsfromtheplane.co.uk and that's P-L-A-I-N because I live in the Cheshire Plain. So there you go. Lovely. So do you have any parting words of advice for those who may be considering um, getting into the industry? Yeah. Never underestimate how much time you will need to spend sat on your backside marketing. So in your day, build in, make sure you build in time to go outside, see what the world looks like and go and find and meet people to go and talk to. Because otherwise you will, it's easy to spend all your time sucked into doing the marketing. And then suddenly you realise that apart from uh, anyone who might actually share your house with you, you've not actually spoken to anyone for three days. And that's kind of more a mental health thing than anything else. So there you go. Never underestimate how much time you'll need to spend on your backside. That's a really good one, actually, because people think it's all about just floating around the house Maybe in kitten heels, I don't know how impractical they are, having never owned a pair. Um, just, you know, flirting dye at bits of <laughs> bits of wool and stuff and then it all magically sells and Yeah, and it and it's lovely, but it will not shift itself. It does not have legs, it cannot type things on the computer for you. Uh it can sit and look gorgeous, but unless you get a stream of people walking past it, it's not gonna sell itself. Um and you have got to power that through but because you can then spend literally all day every day five days a week doing that you have got to make sure you actually build in time to go out see the the world and get your inspiration for everything else that you do um whether your inspiration is is the natural world outside paintings art music whatever and make sure you go and actually speak to people because unless you actually go and speak to people and just talk to them generally about what they want to use you could spend all the time in the world making, you know, what you think is the best product in the world, but no one else wants Absolutely. You need the validation. You can't just build you things because you want to build them. You have to have someone who's willing to pay for them, otherwise it's kind of pointless. Yeah, indeed. Awesome. Thank you. Good knowledge there um, for anyone thinking of getting into it because it is very easy to just stay in the house. We have Freelance Wednesdays. Hashtag Freelance Wednesday. So we go out to the mm-hmm. coffee shop. We go to Nero's. And it's really mm-hmm. funny because these two old men who go to Nero's at about half past ten. And we haven't figured out if they're brothers or not. But we think they are. And they go to Nero's every week on Wednesday. And they buy a coffee. And they share a copy of the Times. Oh. Yeah, Kate's in the background here. Um, we're recording Hi, on the road. <laughs> and, and Kate's also, she came to Freelance Wednesdays once. And yeah, they, they got every week. And I think even if you just go out to like a, a random coffee shop and just sit there, at least if there are people around, you're not quite so isolated. Yeah, it's um, I, I obviously when I started last year, I'd come from a very busy, people rich background. You know, I was spending my um, working day, the school day with 38 and nine year olds um, and, you know, love them to bits. Gorgeous. Well, actually, I didn't have 30 in that last year. I think I only had 24. So it was easy life, really. Um, and a staff of uh, easily a staff of 25, 30 people. Um, and for the first month, just to be in the house was just lovely. It was so quiet. It was wonderful. But then it was like, I think I need to go and see some people <laughs> before I go slightly mad. <laughs> or madder. Did you notice how Joe didn't say anything there? She didn't validate that mad comment. Deathly silence, yeah. <laughs> she knows me too well. <laughs> oh, it's all good. So let's get excited then. What can we look forward to from Yarns from the Plane over the next few months? Okay, right. So one of my um 
yarn lines Stanley, which is British Falkland Merino. Uh, you know, Falkland from the uh, Merino, I'll speak properly, Merino from the Falkland Islands, so British Overseas Territory, so it, it fully comes within my remit. Um, totally I've British. <laughs> totally British. Yeah, even the penguins have British accents. Um, it comes currently in three weights, so I've got um, an Aran weight, a DK, and then what um, the mill calls a four ply, but is more probably a sport weight because um, it's sort of 333 meters per 100 grams. I've now got that in two more weights. So I'm in the process of dyeing some of that up. Um, so I've got it in a true sock weight with 400 meters per 100 grams. And I've also got a lace weight, which is 650 meters for 50 grams. So I'm really excited about that, that I'm taking the, the Stanley um, through across five weights now. Um, so really excited about that. The biggest thing, though, that is the bit that is the bit where I'm saying, going back to earlier in the thing, I have to actually block some time to make some samples, is that um, I'm working with um, Valerie of Agrarian Artisan um, designed to pull together some crochet kits. Um, when I was looking at the market, there's lots and lots of indie dyers who sell knitting kits. There's not so many that sell crochet kits. And a lot of my customers are buying things for crochet so it just seemed that it was a natural fit after um the autumn beaches design was on the front page of inside crochet so we've been looking at, at a number of her patterns and we've picked out five in a variety of different weights that um we're looking to put together kits and we're hoping to have those ready for may um because and you hear it here first Yay. Although by the time this is um, actually released, it might have leaked out onto social media. Um, Yarns from the Plane is returning to fluff in <gasps> May. Yeah, did you did you hear that intake, listeners? Did you hear Yay! that intake of breath? We're going back to fluff um, on the afternoon and early evening of Wednesday, the 25th of May. Um, last year we ran it from two till eight, so I'm guessing it's going to be similar. I think it's it's Leona and I have talked about how it's going to be the same setup as last year. So it'll be the yarn and the fiber at Fluff, but I will also have the crochet kits. That's what we're aiming for. We may not have all five of them up for them, but we're certainly hoping to have three of them, if not more. So there you go. There I'm you so go. excited. You I had such. First. People have done D, hold on to your hats. <laughs> yeah, I had such a blast when I went to, to uh, Fluff last year. I loved it. So when I realised I was passing through um, Scotland again, it was too good an opportunity to miss. So, so we've just set that up this week. Oh, fantastic. It's a great shop. I love, I miss that shop. It is so nice. It's got such a wonderful vibe. Such a wonderful vibe. I love it. I think I'd probably move back to Fife just to be able to go there, to be honest. I have to say, say it is what, you know, when we were, you know, we have these moments, my husband and I, when we sit there and, you know, watch TV programmes and go, we should move to Scotland. Uh, and, you know, I keep thinking, right, I'd really like to move, you know, in the Dundee area for fluff. Uh, and he's thinking he'd really like to move to the Dundee area for Clarkies, <laughs> which if you have no idea, it's an, 24 hour takeaway business bakery thing so you know i could get macaroni cheese and chips at three o'clock in the morning if i so wished i mean what what's not to like what's not to like exactly and i was in scotland last weekend briefly and um tray bakes you can't get macaroni and cheese anywhere in Wigan. Um, you can't even get it in a pie in Wigan, which is surprising because it's Wigan, but you can't get it in a pie. No, the furthest south I have ever found um, a macaroni pie is Glenridding in the Lake District, just on the, on the banks of Oldswater. Mm -hmm. They sell macaroni pies, but I've never found one further south than that. No, and you can't get macaroni cheese. It's like some kind of exotic foreign dish. And the tray bakes are non-existent in Wigan, and in Scotland, they're everywhere. I'm, re I'm really surprised that there's no tray bakes in Wigan. No, no, it's, it's rubbish. They, do, they just don't do tray bakes. You can get millionaire shortbread, but that's not really a tray bake, is it? No. So, no. yeah, when I went back to Scotland, I was busy pining about how I never fully took 
fully took advantage of the tray bakage whilst there. I did take advantage of the tray bakes and the scones, but clearly not enough. It's funny, isn't it? The things you miss once you move away from a place. Yeah, because my kids would always eat the macaroni cheese. If you take them out for tea now, they're like, oh, I don't want that. What macaroni? Don't they do macaroni here, Mum? No. We're in Wigan. <laughs> it doesn't come in pastry. You don't eat it. Oh, bless. They're all good. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, very exciting news that you're going to be going back to Fluff. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. It's um, I've got um, uh, the Guild Friendship Day um, earlier in the month, but at the moment, that's the, the first big outing um, for the season, really. Um, so, but I'm just very excited. I loved it. And I get to go and see see the boys again. Because I do have a bit of a thing about spaniels. Oh, and she does have yeah, beautiful she spaniels. spaniels. She does. And Oscar is gorgeous, but I just, I particularly love the um, the cocker spaniel because I had a cocker spaniel when I was a child. So he's kind of like, he's just adorable. But oh. don't tell my cat. We won't. We won't tell the cats anything, certainly. Excellent. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, I think we probably need to draw things to a close because we've both got knitting to do. We have, we have. And believe it or not, I'm actually planning on going and knitting something that is not my yarn and not a sample. This is some hobby knitting. Ooh, what are we going to knit? Um, Well, I, like I say, I went to um, Black Sheep Wools at um, Mm Coulshiff yesterday and went to um, the Arnie and Carlos uh, Wristies, wrist warmers workshop and so I've done all of it I've literally got about nine rows of rib to do and then I finished my wristy so I'm hoping that I can go and finish that because I didn't get it finished last night so I'm hoping I can finish it tonight oh exciting yes super okay well thank you so much for coming on to the show and uh, sharing your stories and uh, <laughs> being face down in a pile of various things at several points during the interview it's been yes. really good fun talking to yes you. I'm gonna just leave that image there you know your listeners can decide whether it's face down crying in a pile of yarn or face down with uh, you know the imprint of the keyboard on my cheek I'll leave mm. that for I think there's like a little like a chalk outline on the kitchen floor but it's not chalk it's yarn yes yes yeah, definitely totally definitely and um we will speak to you soon thanks very much nick that's okay i had a lovely time take care cheers So I hope you enjoyed that interview. It was uh, rather good fun today. We do have a, a good laugh. Nick is, uh, has become a friend of mine, actually, over the past couple of years. So it was great to get her on and chat to her about all the business kind of stuff. I remember listening to her podcast in Africa, actually, in the bath, weirdly. And uh, she was talking about doing the wool sack cushions, um, which she did a few years ago for, was it the Mancunian Commonwealth Games? It was a Commonwealth Games project, but she did, she did all these cushions and all her listeners sent in little patches to make into cushions and she was talking about sewing all these cushions together um, and you can find all of her back catalogue at Yarns from the Plain um, over on her website, which is yarnsfromplain.co.uk and what you can also find is links um, to her Emporium of Goodness and Nick has incredibly kindly offered a discount code for you lovely listeners of the podcast. She's just done a bumper update that went live literally yesterday, I believe, and all of her current stock is on the website ready for you to go and virtually fondle. The discount is for 15% off, which is amazing, very generous, and the code for that is SHINY. 15 shiny 15 to get your lovely hands on some yarn at a bargain price so head on over to yarnsfromtheplane.co.uk and redeem your lovely code and get your hands on some yarn and get knitting so i'm afraid that's all we've got time for this week i hope you've enjoyed the show and i will look forward to seeing those of you that are going to edinburgh at edinburgh next week can't wait don't forget friday's my birthday and i will have sweeties if you come and say hello to me in the podcast lounge between half 12 and two and there's also going to be my sesh at two till three 
or between two and three on how to build a content calendar for your blog or podcast. If you can't make it, remember to go over and sign up uh, to the list. I'll put a link in the show notes and I'll send you an email with the details of when I'll be running the online version for those of you that can't, can't go along. Also, don't forget, there is a Patreon meetup a week on Monday, which is next Monday. If you want to join in, come and become a patron of the podcast. Support me creating this every week for you and have a good laugh about axe murderers, knitted testies and all things in between with us on Monday evening. You can find all the details for that at patreon.com forward slash shinybees. So, hope you all have a wonderful week. Happy crafting. Thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Bye. to the shiny bees podcast a podcast for those who like their knitting comedy and yarn in equally large measures if you'd like to get in contact with me you can do so via the blog or i'm shiny bees on ravelry instagram twitter pinterest and facebook you can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com music for this episode is provided by music alley and it is adam and the water boys and i need a drink i need a drink